this morning. Have a seat. Ah, shucks. <laughs> Thanks, team. That was absolutely amazing. Um, well, it's such an honour to be here. I'm so excited to be back. I got to do the Mother's Day Sunday night and um, we had an absolute ball. Um, I'm going to get myself set up here. Is that okay? Um, I normally teach with a full table next to me full of commentaries and crazy stuff. I'm one of those, anyone a, a mad teacher that has like things, you walk into my study and I've got books everywhere and Bibles everywhere. I like, um, I like a bit of mess when you're studying the Word of God. So um, who am I? My name's Katie Haldane. I do. I work at C3 Oxford Falls. I absolutely love it. I've been there for 10 years. I know. I come up to my 10th year in um, January this year. Uh, it's been an absolute honour. Um, I run a website called Trash Your Bible. And I know that sounds a bit controversial, doesn't it? Mark and I were talking about the name. Mark Kelsey is my boss. And we were going, what do, what do I call it? And I'm like, I'm thinking Trash Your Bible. He's like, you can't call it Trash Your Bible. And I'm like, but it's so catchy. And we were sitting there, we're talking it through, and he's like, scribble on? I'm like, oh, are you serious? Well, maybe, maybe engage in. I'm like, this is getting worse. It's Trash Your Bible. It's catchy. It's fun. So what is it? Trash Your Bible is a website to help you read your Bible book by book. Sometimes when we're um, Christians, we give new Christians Bibles and we go, go home and read it. And any new Christians that got that Bible and went, Really? What do I do with it? And we've done the famous, who has not done this? That, you know, I've done that all the time. I always get the one that says, smite, almighty, oh you know, those ones. I'm like, flip it over. We've all done that style of Bible reading. So when I was studying my degree, I noticed the joy that I got engaging in the author, engaging in the books, book by book. I was so excited. So I did it online, 6 a.m. every morning. I got up for six years and I studied my Bachelor of Theology. But I was so excited because I would be in the books of Paul and I'd get to know Paul. Or I'd be in Jeremiah burning with passion for a prophetic gift. Do you know um, Pastor Natalie Taylor is, is, has done an article for Trash Bible, which we're releasing on Sunday. So jump on the site. We are launching the series of Jeremiah and who better to do the burning prophetic voice than Pastor Nat? <laughs> I was like praying over and I'm like, oh yes, Pastor Nat has got to do a blog post on that prophetic voice, the, the fire that burns in a prophet, that the message comes out of their lips. So jump on this Sunday night, we're releasing that. And um, so basically what it is, is to help you read the Bible book by book. It'll give you author, date, background, everything that I have spent the last six years studying, you get in a five-minute video. <laughs> Cheat, no. But that's the whole point. You get it in blog posts. You can use it on your phone, on your iPad, but basically it's to help you read the Bible. If you walked into a library and that library had 66 books sitting on these shelves and everywhere, you wouldn't pick up one and read a quote and put it back down and then pick up another and read a quote and put it back down. You wouldn't engage with the books like that. But because this is a collection of 66 books and it looks like one book, doesn't it? But it's actually 66 different authors, 66 different um, genres, 66 different aspects of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to teach you today how to, what to pick out when you're reading it. This is my um, one that I've just had to let go because it's so trash I can't actually read it anymore. I was teaching at youth and I was like, okay, open up your Bibles to Philippians. And I'd scribbled on the page so much I couldn't actually read the scripture. So that's the point where you have to get a new Bible to trash. So what does trash mean? Live in, engage in, wear it out. This is your instruction manual. Where's the youth? Youth? 
this should be more predominant a voice in your life than any voice around you. This is the voice that will instruct you. This will voice that keep you. I didn't grow up with um, saved parents. My parents, we didn't go to church every Sunday. They were both godly people, but um, they didn't, we didn't go to church. So I was taught from an early age that this was going to be my strongest voice. This was going to be the one that shaped me. These people were going to be the people that I followed. Not my peers, not my people around you. Same with everyone. We can get caught up in. I think some Christians look more like Kim Kardashian than they look, do like Jesus. Ooh. I talked to my Bible students and I said, are you starting to look more like your Instagram than like your Bible? Why? Because this has got to be our loudest voice. So let's have some fun this morning. Um, if you want to jump on Trash Your Bible, it's free. We are looking at doing an app and all sorts of things. We're going to have some fun. Okay, so when you open your Bible, what do you get? If you brought your Bibles this morning, I want you to open it up to the index. And we're just going to have a look at what it is first, because I had a lady come up to me after I'd just done a full teaching on the Bible, and she said, I love it, but where do I start? What, what, what do I do with this book? So what you do is this, you ask yourself every month, what do I feel like? Engage with your spirit and go, what do I feel like? What, what do I feel like I need? If you need some prophetic edge, then I would jump into Jeremiah or Isaiah. I would grab the book of Jeremiah and I would sit in it for a couple of weeks, even a couple of months. And I'd glean off Jeremiah's message and I'd get that passion of Jeremiah. If I feel like any history buffs in the room, my dad's a history buff. Every time I talk to him, I'm like, Dad, read one and two kings, you're going to love it. So maybe the next month you're like, you know what, I feel like a bit of history. This book has everything. Even if you feel like a bit of romance, youth, when you're married. Um, <laughs> Song of Songs. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you feel like you need some more Jesus instructions in your life, get into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Can I explain to you why we have four different Gospels? So the first thing I would say to you is engage with what you're reading. When you read them, I'm going to do, go through three things. Engage with what you're reading, engage with the people, and engage with the words. This is how to read your Bible. Before, before we do example of reading your Bible, I want to teach you how to read the Bible. So first of all, what you are reading, like I said, if you picked up the book of Jeremiah, you would know you're reading a prophetic book, so you're going to get some fire in your life. If you pick up the book of um, Lamentations, you've got that same prophetic edge. If you pick up Joshua, anyone needs some message of strong and courageous this morning, pick up the book of Joshua and have a read of Joshua where he takes the mighty armies. If you read the Gospels, you're going to get Jesus. And the Gospels are broken up like this. Let me just break them down. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they're four different stories. Same story written four different ways. So a lady came up to me and she said, I want to read the Gospels. I said, what's your personality? She said, I'm super creative. I said, you are going to love John. Because I know John is super creative, passionate. I mean, seriously, he wrote the book of Revelation. Anyone read the book of Revelation and gone, what is that? It's like out there crazy. So if you want Jesus packaged in an amazing prophetic, John is about the book of signs. So he's saying every sign that points to Jesus being the Messiah. He doesn't care about chronological order. So don't think it's going to be chronological order. He's created. All the creators like, yes, amen. He doesn't care about order. He doesn't care about order. He's just got a message and it's firing through. For me, Oh my goodness, I don't, John's like, oh please, I like my ducks in a row. I'm Luke. Luke is my man. Luke is the, Lord, the guy that 
systematically set it all in place. It's chronological order. It sits in the row. It goes all through. Whenever I teach Luke, my students are like, you us. This is me. This is the teacher in me. It's all nice and in order. Matthew is the Jewish text. Why? Because it sits at the pinnacle from the Old and New Testament. It's the door. So when you read the book of Matthew and you sit in the book of Matthew, down the bottom you're going to have a lot of Old Testament texts. And a word fulfilled is going to come through because it's the door that comes through. Matthew stands there and the Old Testament scriptures come through. And what happens? Every time an Old Testament scripture hits Jesus, he stamps it with fulfilled. And then it hits Jesus again, he says fulfilled. And he hits. So this is Matthew. Mark, young guy. So if you're a young guy doing the, the gospel, action-packed. Our students get to the end of Mark and they're like, I'm exhausted after three years with Jesus. Immediately happens 42 times in that book. He's pacing you. When you read Mark as a book, you feel this action of Jesus. He's here and there and he's here and there. So don't just read your book, your Bible as a collection of quotes. Read it as a collection of books. Engage with them. So the first thing I want you to engage with is what, which we just explained, the people. You're going to fall in love with John. You're going to fall in love with Peter. I said it last time, the comeback king. Anybody do everything wrong and you're like, but I'm still here. Peter fails, but he's still at the prayer meeting. He says something wrong. One moment he's like the pinnacle of the church and then the next moment he's getting rebuked. Can you imagine that moment? Like, yes, I am the rock that the church is built on and he's turning to all the disciples. Not two scriptures later, he's like, get behind me, Satan. Dun, dun. <laughs> I was riding high. Anyone feel like that in your Christianity? But when you get to know and fall in love with Peter, he keeps turning up. Every time, next time Jesus is doing something, Peter's still there. So when you need that encouragement, fall in love with the, the people. Can I show you funny stories that sometimes we, we miss in the scriptures? Open up your Bibles to um, Luke 19. Sometimes we assume that these stories are fictional. And you can read it like a fictional account. Um, and I don't want you to do that with your Bible because these are real people experiencing real things. And I want you to put yourself in the Bible when you read it. So if you open up your Bibles to Luke 19... I'm going to show you this very funny story. You know when you have those moments when you're reading the Bible and you're like, did that actually just say that? Um, and you go back. Um, this is the moment, Matthew, sorry, I mean Mark, that's never good. Luke 19, let's go. I will put my glasses on because I am at that age now, which is very fun. Let's go. Luke 19, 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. This is a pinnacle moment. In Jesus' life, he's about to go to Jerusalem. Luke has a geographical pull in it. If, if you jump on Trash Your Bible, I'll explain all of this to you. Luke has a geographical pull because Luke Acts is actually two books, one, two books, one volume. You're supposed to read them together. Creative John got stuck in the middle, and I'm sure he's in heaven loving it. But, but all the logical people are like, why would you put John in the middle? Luke and Acts are actually supposed to be read as one continuous story. The story of Jesus and the story of what they, the disciples did with the encounter of Christ. Okay, so we are here in Luke and we are journeying through and this pinnacle geographical Luke is pushing you as the reader towards Jerusalem because Jerusalem is going to be a pinnacle part of this story. And so we're at this pinnacle part and it says this, after Jesus has said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethage and Bethany, 
um, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying to them, now don't just read this, imagine got Jesus instructing you to do this. Go to the village ahead of you and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're untying it, say the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went, found it just as he had told them. As they were untying it, the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying it? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put on Jesus on it. And then we have this incredible procession of Palm Sunday. Now stop. Modern terms. I know that sometimes we get caught in the culture of the Bible and it's, it's distant. Modern terms. Jesus comes to you and says, go to Silverwater Road and uh, there's going to be a beautiful Lamb- Lamborghini parked there. It's brand new. And it's just parked on the side of the road. Get in it, bring it to me. And if anyone asks why you're stealing it, say the Lord told you. We read this and go, oh yeah, of course, go and he's stealing the donkey. But because we don't engage with the Bible as a book that is real life people, we go, of course. Imagine those disciples walking to steal the donkey going, has he pre-ordered this donkey? Uh, Is it hired? What's going on? So when you read your Bible, don't distance yourself from it. Okay, don't think, oh, well, that, that's 2,000 years. No, no, no. What happens? And please, don't go home from church and say, Katie told me I can steal a Lamborghini because all I have to say is Jesus told me to do it. But know that these are real people engaged in real situations. The last thing I want you to um, engage with other words. Notice the repeated words in the text. Ephesians, when I preached on Ephesians two weeks ago, the repeated word in that book is power. That's why I brought it. This is a church of power. So when you read Ephesians, you'll notice power. Mark, the repeated terms are immediately. In Matthew, it's fulfilled. In the Old Testament, you're going to hear covenant. But if you don't read that book as one whole book, you're not going to get the repeated terms. Okay, so are you ready to give this a go? Open up your Bibles to Philippians. We're going to jump in with everything that um, we've just learned. Uh, If you didn't bring your Bibles today, you can go on your phones. Just don't jump across to Facebook. It is one short switch. Um, (laughs) So I say to my students, you watch that Facebook jump. Okay, let's go. We're in Philippians. I'm just going to use my other Bible to keep this one open because it's brand new. Does anyone have a brand new Bible? Oh, they don't open right there. I need to scribble in this one. I need to make it my own. Can I say that? Don't make your Bible boring. It's not, if you're not boring, why do, why do you have a boring Bible? If you're not boring, why does your Bible have to be, you know, I go into Kurung and I find the most outlandish Bible that I can and I scribble all that. Let your Bible reflect you journal in it, write all over it. I scribble all over it, I study all over it. This is a beautiful, precious text that is to be honoured, but it is to be engaged in. Okay, so make it you. Um, And please, buy one. If you can't buy one, come and have a chat. We'll try and get a Bible to you. You can't trash a Bible you don't have. So buy one. Okay, are you ready? Philippians. I love the book of Philippians. My title of this message is Follow This. At Apostle Paul, meaning this, 
If this Bible was a series of Instagram posts, would you click follow? If, these, if Paul had an Instagram and a Facebook, would you be following him? If Peter had an Instagram, Facebook, would you be following him? Because I can guarantee that these guys, can you imagine Paul's Instagram? You know, in prison, rejoicing, hashtag, back in here, you know, shipwreck again, like Luke and I over here, we're back. Can you imagine following Paul? Uh, how cool would that? Someone should do that. Creative, do an Instagram post of Paul. You know, all these incredible lives, yet we follow our phone and we don't follow these guys. So today I want you in Philippians, we're going to go through this, follow this concept that Paul wants you to do. Okay, open up your Bibles. What are we reading? Philippians is a letter. So when you read a letter, you read it not quote by quote, but you read it as a letter, beginning to end. You can take two or three weeks in this letter, you can study it. There's no time limit on this letter. Who wrote this letter? We know Paul wrote this letter. And it is to the church in Philippi. Now, if you came on Trash Your Bible, you don't need to study all of this stuff. I will let you know this stuff on Trash Your Bible. And then you start reading the text. Now, when I spoke about Ephesians, I spoke about that Ephesians was all about identity. And I put it up here. Identity before war. And that is Paul's passion in Ephesians. In Philippians, he is showing you models to follow. Open up your Bibles and I want you to show you the structure and then we're going to jump in. The key word in this book is rejoice. I love that. Okay, if you have a look at your structure of your Bible in Philippians, um, you're not going to obviously have this, guys. So those who have a Bible in front of them, you're going to see that there's four models to follow, three to reject. The four models to follow in this book is Christ, Paul, Timothy, and Epaphrodites. And when you read the whole text, he presents these four people to you. And he says, follow them. Then he actually, unfortunately, does three people not to reject. Imagine that. Imagine living your life and you look at the Bible and you are the ones to reject. Don't be that person. It's unfortunately two women that are having a fight in the church and he presents them as models to reject. So if we are called to follow Paul, then where is Paul when he's writing the book of Philippians? If someone Instagrammed to me a photo of their legs on the beach, you know those Instagram, legs on the beach, stunning beach shot, and said, follow me rejoicing in Christ, I'd be like, yes, you're rejoicing in Christ because you're on the beach and I'm at work. Like, let's be honest, of course you're rejoicing in Christ. Paul doesn't do that in this book. Where is Paul when he wrote Philippians? He's in prison. Where is he when he says, follow me? He's in prison and he's not saying follow me into prison. He's saying, do what I do in the midst of adversity. So my message to, do, to you is this. How do you act when things get hard? What comes out when things get hard? And this is what Paul is passionate about for you. It's, it's kind of easy to do things well when things are going well, but when things get hard, we need someone to model. Let me be honest with you, um, I am not naturally Christian. Anyone else? Not naturally. I didn't grow up in the church. 
So you were all very weird to me when I walked in at 16. And you were all, praise Jesus, I'm not sick. And I'm like, you look sick. No, I'm not sick. Praise Jesus, I'm healed. And things would go wrong, but I have faith to believe. I'm not wired that way naturally. I'm a negative Nelly, my family call me. Anyone else a bit of a negative Nelly? You're realistic, you're logical. And when someone comes up to you and goes, it'll be okay, you're like, not sure. My dad's exactly the same. My mum is candy on steroids. <laughs> oh, it's going to be amazing. We'll just paint it gold and it'll look beautiful. And I'm like, it's not going to be beautiful. She force-fed me Pollyanna every Saturday. But do you know what? Pollyanna ends up in a wheelchair. So I'd be like, I don't want to be positive because she ends up in a wheelchair. Anyone seen that movie? So if this isn't natural to you, what the Word of God does is teaches you how to do it. When it's not natural to you, this is, is what you inst- instructs you. When fear is natural to you, then you need this to give you faith. When anxiety is natural to you, you need this to impart hope. When, when, when different things are natural to you, this changes your natural being. It renews your mind. So let me show you. Paul says this in Acts um, 16, 12. This is where, actually, I'm going to jump forward. That's Philippi. We know where he is. He's in prison. He, um, he says this at the end in, in summary. Philippians 4, 11 to 13. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every, any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Is that scripture up there? Can we go back to... Um, the beginning, 11. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have. Stop when you're reading your Bible. What does that say? For I have learned. It wasn't natural. It wasn't natural to him. Being content in no matter what happens in your life is not natural. But empowered by the Holy Spirit and watching how these guys in this Bible lived, we can do it. He learned to be content in all circumstances. So I'm going to listen to Paul when I read Philippians about how he did it. And I'm going to show you six things that he did to stay content in all circumstances. Number one, pray for others. Now, if I know he is in prison, funniest thing is this church in Philippi was birthed when he was in prison the first time. This is Paul and Silas in Philippi rejoicing and the earthquake. This is Philippi. So this church was birthed in a prison experience and he's back in prison and he's writing to them again. And he's saying, let me show you how I sent that, how the earthquake came to me in prison. Number one, he prayed for others. It says this in Philippians 1, 3 to 11. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Let me tell you, if I was in prison and I wrote to you, I wouldn't be praying for you. Would you? Would you be praying for everyone around you while you're in prison? But no matter what your circumstances are, if you take your eyes off your circumstances and put them on others, the prison fades away. What's he, what are you doing? He's getting a kingdom mindset. He's like, I may be in here, but you know what? I'm praying for you out there. 
And you don't pray for people and go, oh God, I pray that they're worse than me. And whatever. You pray with hope for them. You bless them. So first thing, in prison and in whatever situation you're in, pray for others. Let's jump through. The second thing is this. In Philippians 1, 12, see the good in every situation. And I don't care how minuscule the good looks in your situation. We follow Paul by seeing the good. And it says this in Philippians 1.12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. I don't mind, care what you're facing this morning, try and find the good in it. Try and find the good in it. Do you know what it does? It switches your brain. You stop focusing on the negative things. You, I'm a negative Nelly, so trust me, I'm going to focus on the negative thing and try and fix them. But when I start to focus on the good, the negative things fix themselves. When I start to focus on the good, now that's hard. I remember when my nephew died and... Um, he was four and a half, he had cerebral palsy, beautiful boy, and he died. And I remember God saying, what's the good in this situation? And it took me hours to find it. I was like, I genuinely don't know what the good is in this situation. He's like, Katie, find the good. And there is going to be moments in our life, guys, when the prison experience is going to be hard. I'm not denying that. But I am saying, switch your brain to focus on the good, no matter how hard it is. The third thing is this, keep your hope. If you lose that hope, medical doctors will say this. Once a patient loses their hope, there's nothing they can do. So in your adversity, no matter what you're facing, don't lose your hope. Paul says this from prison. Um, I'm going to read this in the message. Actually, I'll read it in NIV first and then the message. You'll get a better context. Philippians 1.18. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance maybe if or will you've got to have a will this will turn out not maybe I don't know no doubt this means that he's assured that this is going to work out have that stubbornness in your spirit that this will turn out for good same as Paul I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. Now listen to this in the Message Bible. How cool is this? And I'm gonna keep that celebration going because I know how it's gonna turn out. Through your faithful prayers and the generous response of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, everything he wants to do in and through me will be done. I can hardly wait to continue on my course. This guy's in prison and he's like, I can't wait to keep going. He's preaching to the Philippians who are free outside and he's like, I cannot wait to keep going in this course. Do you know what? The prison walls don't contain you. What you do on the inside contains you. If you stop your hope and you stop your thought pattern, you can be in prison still rejoicing. You can be in prison still hoping. Your family can be a mess and you can still have the heart of hope. Why? Because the hope in us comes from our faith in Jesus Christ and that never changes, no matter the circumstances. Okay, couple more. Number four, this one I find very hard to do. Sometimes these models in the Bible are very hard to follow, but give it a go. Number four, Philippians 2.14, do everything without grumbling. 
I um, grew up, as I said, with a police officer father and a beautician mother. I am a hair-free skeptic. Um, <laughs> uh, my mother kept my eyelashes beautiful. My father taught me reality. But unfortunately, sometimes with reality came a mouth that was grumbling. Sometimes in my circumstances, my mouth would agree with my circumstances, not the hope within me. Sometimes I would agree with what was happening around me and I would confess it with my mouth. Paul doesn't do that. He says this, Philippians 2.14, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Saying this, let them grumble and complain, no matter where you are, the hope within you rises out of your mouth. How can this man rejoice in prison? How can he praise in prison? Because his circumstances don't contain his spirit. He's always got that hope that doesn't contain his mouth. He praises no matter what's happening. And a couple more. Philippians 4, 4 to 7. This one I love. You've heard this preached. Let me, it says this, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Number five is this, rejoice in prayer. Now that is hard to do when you are going through a, a really hard season. It's very hard. When after my nephew died, uh, I got severe depression. And I had so many Christians come up to me and go, bless God, all things work together for good. To be honest, I wanted to punch them because I didn't grow up in the church. I was like, yeah, I just can't do this right now. But so it'll be fine. God will work it out. But in my heart, I couldn't, I couldn't feel that it was going to be fine. I couldn't get my emotions under control. And God said to me really clearly one morning after I was reading my word, he said, get out of bed and start praising. Start praying with joy again. And I said, that's just weird, God. I'm so sorry. I didn't grow up in this in church thing. I just find that really weird. And he said, like, I don't care if you find out a weird. Get out of bed and start worshiping. And I said, okay. And I got out of bed and I raised my hands. And I'll be honest, I had to fake it till I made it in the beginning. I had to just go, okay, God. But once I lifted my eyes out of my circumstances, sorry, it's going to make me cry. And I set my eyes on the one who is above all circumstances. And I got my eyes out of the miry clay and I realized that he's still seated on the throne. He's still King of kings and Lord of lords. No matter what's going on down here, no matter how I'm feeling, I can rejoice in prayer because I don't rejoice in my circumstances. I rejoice in the Lord. And he never changes. So this morning, actually, as I was praying, and Pastor Nat must be the prophetic thing in this house, as I was praying this morning, I got this message and it said this, some of you are starting to feel like you smell like the prison experience that you've been in. You're starting to smell like the circumstances around you, the mess that is around you. But do you know what? It doesn't matter what you feel like on the outside. This morning, we're going to have a time of worship after this because I want you to lift your eyes to heaven. I want you to start to pray for others. I want you to start to see the good. I want you to start to get your hope back. Stop grumbling. That's a hard one. But I want you to rejoice in the Lord because He never changes. Lastly, Philippians 4. Can you see how weird it is for a repeated term in this book to be joy when he's in prison? Did you notice that as we jump into these books, things are going to contradict our brain? Why? Because the Word of God changes and renews our mind. So you're going to think, why is he saying joy in prison? He's saying joy in prison because of all of these things. Lastly, what's your thought life? 
Now, there are so many more points that you can go through. I want you to do some, is it okay if you give you homework? I'm a bit of a teacher. <laughs> read Philippians. You are going to get so much more out of this book than, you're going to be like, I don't know what she was talking about. When I read Philippians, I get, that's the whole point of the Bible. It's going to be different to you than it is to me because it's a personal book. It engages the Holy Spirit makes it come alive to each person. My last thing is this, your thought life. Philippians 4, 8 to 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, he's saying this from prison. Imagine that moment. He's in chains. We don't know where Paul is in this prison experience. We don't know if he's in the home detention section of his prison experience or he's in a dungeon where he can't see anything. Imagine that. You're innocently thrown in prison and you're trying to keep your hope. You're trying to keep your vision. You're not grumbling. You're worshipping God. You're doing all the, the top things. The thing that Satan is going to attack you is in your thought life, in what you're thinking in that prison experience. Some of you are facing things this morning that your thought life is out of control. You cannot see the hope. You cannot see the good. You cannot see how your family is going to work out. You cannot see how this financial situation is going to work out. You are in a prison experience in this world. And the thing that is annoying you the most, the thing that you're battling with the most is your thought life. So Philippians 4 talks to this. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Why do we read the Word of God? Why do we model these, these men and women? Because these men and women fill our thought lives with good things. Because let me tell you, sometimes in this world, it can fill your thought lives with things that are not helpful for you. I stopped reading magazines when I was 16 because I ended up anorexic. And God said to me very clearly, stop reading magazines. You are filling your thought life with models that are not right. But today, maybe you are filling your thought life, youth, with Instagram posts that are not right. Who are you following? Who are you modeling your life after? When you read this book, you've got men and women to model our life after, let alone Jesus himself. I love the Bible because the Bible genuinely saved me. I came to a place where my thought life was so out of control. I was thinking things that nobody will ever know and should know. And God said, Kate, you've got to think about pure things. And what I did was I read the Bible every night and I meditated on it and I changed my thought life to change my circumstances. Close your eyes.